Or what about what about this? When your phone rings, when your cell phone rings and you look down at it and you see the caller ID pop up, you automatically judge. Whether you realize it or not, you do. I do, you do. You look at it and you think, oh, boy, I don't have time to talk to him right now. It's going to be way too long. Oh, every time she calls, it's a problem. I can't answer right now. If you be real honest, sometimes you answer, sometimes you don't. Now, sometimes you're just so busy that you can't. So don't start sitting there thinking in your head, oh, I tried to call Dusty last week and he didn't answer. I guess he's talking about me. I'm not talking about you. Bo tried to call me yesterday. Was that yesterday? But oh, <laughs> I'm not talking about Bo. <laughs> not talking about you, Bo. Or Nathan. I know Nathan's sitting there saying I'm talking about him. Not you, Nathan. But then you know there are some people that call and you know it's important. Like even if you're super busy and your hands are dirty and you can't answer, you look at the phone and you think, Oh my goodness, that person's calling. I better answer. Like, hold on, I got to take this call. I'm, I'm very sorry, but I need to take this. Because it's important. Because for different reasons. You honor that person or this person never calls. Or you got people like Rebecca that when you look at it, you know it's a pocket dial or Azalea. One or the other. Like, yet last night I had two missed calls from Rebecca. Jesse had a missed call from Rebecca and I was like, I'm sure it was a pocket dial. I'll call her back just to make sure. And she had two very important things she needed to talk to me about. Girl that cried wolf. <laughs> but some people, you just don't have the time to have a 45-minute conversation. So those of you that know my brother Benny, a lot of you maybe have never heard him speak if you have, maybe not a lot. If you're not in close relationship to him, he's a man of few words. Benny doesn't speak a lot. Or he doesn't waste words. But what I've learned from watching him and thinking about him a little bit, as I was thinking about this, because he speaks very few words. I'm his brother. I've known him all of his life. So... He never talks that much, but when he does talk, people usually listen because he doesn't waste a bunch of words. So if he's saying something, he's probably already thought about it a bunch of times in his head. And this week, I found out something new about Benny a few days ago. Not only does he not waste words, now he's figured out how to effectively communicate without even using words. I have some pigs that got out of their fence this week. Benny noticed my pigs were not where they were, they weren't even close to where they were supposed to be. He didn't call me. He didn't send me a message, a text message, nothing. You know what he did? Pulled out his phone, took a picture, made sure in the picture that I could tell which pigs it was so that I would know which fence was messed up and how urgent this was. He made sure in the picture I could tell where they were so I knew they're not where they're supposed to be and where I could find them. And with no words, he just sent me a picture. I saw that, went immediately and got my pigs and brought them across the pasture and brought them back home. But he didn't, wait a minute, they said a picture's worth a thousand words. So technically, 
did Benny send me a thousand words? He didn't even use words. And he got the point across. Let me say it like this. Raise your hand if you like bananas. All right. Kevin, you like bananas. So if I gave you a banana, you would appreciate it and eat it. Okay. What if I gave you a thousand bananas? Every time I saw you, I felt the need to unload a thousand bananas on you. And I showed up at your house and knocked on your door. And if you opened the door, I dumped a thousand bananas on you. And I called you on your phone and asked you to meet up. And you knew if you met up with me, I was going to dump a thousand bananas on you. Every single time I saw you, you would begin to not like bananas. And you wouldn't want to see me or meet up with me because you know I'm going to dump a bunch of bananas. Even though you like bananas. But I was going to unload on you. So today I just want to change our perspective a little bit. Just change the way we see things. I want us to remember that we're supposed to listen. That we're supposed to feel each other's pain. That we're supposed to step into other people's world. People that don't look like us or think like us or act like us. Or talk like us. To reach them. I just want to change your perspective a little bit. We will never see unity or growth if we don't listen to people different than us. Remember in Scripture we're told to weep with those that weep. How are you going to do that if you don't enter into their world or you don't see things from their point of view? If you don't have empathy, how are you going to weep with somebody? You don't see things the way they see them. Look at James. This is Jesus' brother, James. In James 1, 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man that feels like it, or let some men, no, it says let every man be swift to hear. And slow to speak. Slow to wrath or anger. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So right there in those two verses, James is telling us, hey, be quick to listen. And slow to speak. And be slow to anger. And don't get mad all the time and and, and act out of your wrath and your anger and just run your mouth all the time. Just be quiet and listen sometimes. Why, try to understand. Try to understand. Even if you disagree, understand why somebody's feeling the way they're feeling or saying the things that they're saying. You don't, you don't have to act or speak out of your anger. Listen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Paul writes, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That there be no divisions among you. 
None. There are so many scriptures on division. But it's never a good thing. When we are divided, we're weak. You know, united we stand, divided we fall. That's true. A kingdom or a house divided won't stand. I find it interesting that Jesus prayed one time and Lazarus came forth from the dead. Jesus prayed three times for unity. Why? Because he knew it was going to be such a struggle for humans to walk in unity. Look at Galatians 3, 28. Galatians 3, 28. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant. Heirs, according to the covenant promise. See, we want to divide into us and them. And the world and the culture that we live in, and it's all about us and them. We point out differences, we find differences. To be us or them. To to separate us from other people. Um, Pastor Miles McPherson, he wrote a book and then he's given, um, I've heard him give several different talks on this subject. But his book is called The Third Option. And that's what the book is about, like that the world wants you to choose between us and them. And he's, his book is about the third option, that there's a third option, that God has a third option, that we as Christians aren't supposed to choose us or them because it creates division. It creates divide. But we live in an us or them society. right? Are you, are you for cops or are you against cops or... You for Republicans or you for the Democrats or is it us or them? Is it Black Lives Matter or is it All Lives Matter or is it you can fill in the blanks? You for immigrants or against immigrants? Are you even in our church suits? Are you for Baptist or Pentecostals? Are you what are y'all? We want to try to divide. Everything, rather than focusing on what we have in common, rather than focusing on one Lord, one God, 
on unity. We're created in His image. Rather than finding something that we agree on, don't think that just because somebody doesn't agree with you that they're your enemy. There are a lot of people that, I mean, you don't, you probably don't agree 100% with any other human on this planet. 100% across the board. That doesn't mean they're your enemy. If somebody disagrees with you, that's not your enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Remember. Look at Joshua 5.13. So we know the story. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We looked at part of the story. But Joshua was the new leader. And Joshua leads the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land. And as soon as they cross over, boom, there's Jericho. Huge battle, impossible. So right after they've crossed over, right before they take on Jericho, here's what happens. Joshua 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. That's startling. He just looked up and there's a man standing against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Ah! And Joshua went unto him. Why? Because read that chapter before where he's getting told, have courage, don't be afraid. So Joshua went unto him. And Joshua said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Are you for us or them? Pick a side. Choose. Who are you for? Is it us or is it them? And he said, nay or no. Imagine Joshua. Are you for us or them? He said, no. Did you understand the question? (laughs) He said, no. Like if I ask God, do you want a hamburger or a hot dog? No. It, it's one or the other, dude. Either, are you on our side? Do you believe what we believe? Or are you on the enemy's side? He said, nay. Huh. But as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. I'm on God's side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on Jericho's side. I'm on God's side. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. And he said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Oh, what does God have to say? Now we get down to what's really important. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off of thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. He said, take off your shoes. And there's all different reasons why you take off your shoes. And the ground he was on was holy. And, and you know, that's what 
God had Moses do at the at the burning bush, and there's all these things, but there was a custom back in that day that if you were getting an inheritance or a, prom- a promotion or a blessing, that you would take off your shoes and you would leave them, and you would step in to receive from whoever you were receiving from as a sign or a symbol that I will not take the dirt, the grime, the manure I may have stepped in, the things from the past, I won't try to carry them into this new season, into this new blessing, into this new place. You see, we're getting into what really mattered. Joshua wanted him to say, are you for us or them? Let's all, let's fight it out. And if you're for them, I'm going to attack you. And if you're with us, yay, so we can attack them. And like he's coming at it with the wrong mindset. The angel's like, no, I'm not going to choose us or them because I I work for God, and I'm here for something way more important. Worship. And take off your shoes. Something bigger is going on here, Joshua. There's a term that sociologists use to describe how we segregate ourselves. And they call it grouping. That we do grouping. That every one of us is in multiple groups. We're in a lot of different groups. And some of the groups we were born into and some of the groups we create because of things that we like. So we group ourselves with other people that like the same things. And and they call it grouping. That we just naturally segregate ourselves into these different groups. And that we're all in multiple different groups. So I heard this guy talking about it and he he was a black guy. And he was talking about that when he was growing up years and years ago that there was still like segregation. And so it was us. He was telling the story. I'm not saying it. It was us, the African-Americans, and them, the white guys. But then it turned out that he joined the football team at the high school and he was really good. And then in the locker room, it became us was him and the other white guys that were on the football team were now us. It was no longer us and them when we're in the locker room. It's, it's a different group. Like, okay, all the women in the room, raise your hand. Hey, ladies, y'all are a group. You're a group of women. You were born into that group. But now all the mothers raise your hand. Oh, y'all are a group in a group. See, some of y'all other ladies, you couldn't raise your hand there. So you have a different group. And the funny thing that it got me thinking about was like, Journey, oh, Journey's out doing kids class, doing kids space. But I was thinking about different people in those groups. See, Journey does a lot of stuff with kids. Good point. She's out there teaching kids church right now. She grabs her nieces and nephews and takes them places and does things with them and, and, she does a lot like, kind of like a mother would do. So Journey probably feels like that she knows a lot about the group of mothers. Like that could be kind of her in-group too, even though she's not a mother herself, naturally. And that would be true. She would understand more than somebody who's not a mother and that's never really dealt with kids or helped with kids or anything like that. That's true. But you see, at the end of the day... Journey can leave the conversation of a mother 
and go on a skiing trip with her 20-something-year-old friends. Jesse can't leave the conversation of a mother. Wherever she goes, she's a mother still. There are all different groups. And no matter how much you think you understand, if you're not in that group, there are things in that circle, in that group, that you may not fully understand. But we have to get mature enough to realize and be able to admit, hey, maybe I don't understand everything about you or why you tick like you tick or why you think like you think or why that hurts you or that would offend you even though I think it's dumb or I don't understand it. If We have to get to the point where we say, yeah, maybe I don't understand everything about that group. Why? Because at the end of the day, I can leave that conversation if I'm not in that group. At the end of the day, I can learn and listen and learn all I want to learn, but then I can go back how right on out of that group. Because that's not my in group. So you got your in group and your out group. And it's pretty self self-explanatory. Like your in group is the group you're in, and the out group's the group you're not in. The out group is any group that you can leave the story or the conversation of. I can't leave the man group. Been in it my whole life. So, at the end of the day, I'm staying in that group. I'm not leaving that story. So there's something that they've done a lot of studies on, and they call it, you can, you can look it up, but it's called group bias. And we all deal with it, whether we, we want to admit it or not. Group bias means the tendency to give preferential treatment to people con- to people considered like me. I will give preferential treatment to people that are like me. Group bias, this is what it sounds like. Number one, I am more comfortable with those who are like me. Two, I am more inclined to spend time socially with those like me. Three, I am more patient with those like me. Four, I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those like me. Five, I express more grace when mistakes are made by those like me. Six, it is easier to communicate with those like me. We just, they understand me. I communicate better. Seven, I assume that I will get along easier with those like me. Eight, I am more willing to go out of my way to help those like me. Nine, I possess more positive assumptions about those like me. The opposite is also true. They call it out-group discrimination. Number one, I am less comfortable with those not like me. Number two, I am less inclined to spend time socially with those not like me. Number three, I am less patient with those not like me. Number four, I give the benefit of the doubt less to those not like me. Five, 
I express less grace when mistakes are made by those not like me. Number six, it is more difficult to communicate with those not like me. Number seven, I don't assume I will get along with those not like me. Eight, I am less willing to go out of my way to help those not like me. Number nine, I possess less positive assumptions about those not like me. And we walk around all day going, us, them, us, them. My in-group, out-group, in-group, out-group, us, them. That person over here, that person over here. We, we want to categorize everybody. Oh, he said this. Oh, he must not. Out, oh, in, out, in, out. And it affects the way we love people. It affects the amount of grace we give to people. It affects the, like we just read, everything. We judge by race and gender and sports that we play, sports that we cheer for, music, swag, all different ways. Oh, he thinks it's okay to drink. Oh, she thinks it's not okay to drink. Oh, us, them. Us, them, what? We're constantly categorizing people. You see, by putting a label on somebody, it dehumanizes them. Saying, oh, one of those people. It's what we call the Native Americans. It's easier to call them a savage. To face the reality that they're humans created in our God's image. So what can we do? How can we have unity? Number one, we talked about it the whole first part. Listen. Listen to other people. Listen to each other. We have to have unity with each other. So listen to somebody that's not in your group. Listen to people and listen to understand. Understand where they're coming from. And I'm not just talking about, I am talking about a different race, and I'm talking about different people than you. Don't just get closed-minded and think one thing. Like, listen to other people. We're called to walk in unity. That's where we find our strength. So that's number one. we got to learn how to listen. Number two, acknowledge your blind spots. Just got to admit, yeah, I don't know everything about your life. I don't know everything about, I'm picking on Kevin today for some reason. You're the, right to my left hand, sorry. <laughs> I don't know everything about Kevin. I feel like I'm getting to know Kevin better. We've had some talks recently and stuff, and I know more about him than I did know about him. But I acknowledge that I don't know everything about him. I don't know things that happened to him when he was a child that made him think the way he thinks or do things he does. And and he doesn't know everything about me. But we need to be able to acknowledge the fact that there are some blind spots. People come from different places and think different things. And acknowledge your blind spots. This will allow or give you room to grow. Pride says, I know everything. We talked about pride a lot last week. Pride can't learn from anybody because you already know it all. 
You're never going to learn or grow if you think you know everything. You're, you're done. That's what pride says. And it leaves you no room to grow. So just admit that other people may have had to deal with something that you didn't. I believe empathy is the greatest promoter of unity on the planet. If we can just take a minute and put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. You know, they say before you judge somebody, walk a mile in their shoes. And then when you judge them, at least you're a mile away and you've got their shoes. (laughs) Kidding, don't do that. It's the greatest promoter of unity on the planet. So, I'm left-handed. Are there any other left-handed people in this room? Hey. Few. Not many. Was there like four or five of us in the room? All the rest of y'all are right-handed. Stephen Jones is a leadership coach And he wrote an article called The Right Hand of Privilege. Go look up the article and read it if you want to. It's called The Right Hand of Privilege, and it talks about how we live in a right-handed world. This world was created by all of you. Those of you that are right-handed are probably thinking, this is nonsense. Some of you older people may be thinking poppycock. If that's a word you use, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Right-handed bias. And he writes this thing on it. Well, it really hit home with me because I'm left-handed. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's right. That's true. I have experienced that. And things y'all don't even think about. Like, you know, when you go into a school classroom and there's a desk, you think there's a desk to sit down and do my work on. Well, guess what? The part you slide in on always right here. And y'all think about it. Y'all sit down and there's a little spot right here for your elbow not for us better get a strong arm because you're holding it up they don't make left-handed desks so that's why part of the reason our left arms are so much stronger because we've been holding them up for 12 years well we write every single paper with it twisted sideways like this that's why left-handed people are creative you have to figure out how to make things work in this right-handed world Or there's so much prejudice against us lefties. What about a ball glove? You know how hard it is for me to get a ball glove? It takes me longer to find it. I have to shop all around and pay more money than y'all. I'm the only preacher I know that doesn't golf. You know why? Nobody got left-handed golf clubs. I can't go buy them. They're more expensive. They're hard to find. I can't just borrow a set to see if I like golfing and get good at golfing. Had one guy that started coming to the church that was left-handed, and he had some left-handed golf clubs, and I borrowed them from him and played in the Blake House uh, golf tournament. First time ever. Not smart to have never played golf and played in a tournament. It was for a good cause, though. That was fun. Then he quit the church, so no more clubs I can borrow. (laughs) Okay, we're getting a little bit off track. Golf clubs. Guess what? I like to play the guitar. But I can't grab 
I'm about to say Dylan's guitar, and I think that's Bo's guitar. I can't grab any one of these guitars on the stage and play it because it's upside down for me. Why? They were all manufactured and thought built with right-handed people in mind. They didn't care how that would make me feel. If I can't find a left-handed guitar or I have to special order it, and, and then y'all younger people say, you just order it on Amazon. That's great. The world's changing and getting better than it used to be. Yes, you can order it on Amazon, and I'm so thankful for that. But as I grew up as a teenager, the only Amazon was in Brazil. So you don't know what I've been through. You see what I'm saying? So basically what we're talking about is right privilege. Y'all have it. Me and Jeremy and Canaan don't. It's nothing bad. Y'all weren't trying to hurt me. Y'all aren't mad at me. But y'all do have it. You know what? I've had to work a lot of... We'll just stay on this for a second. Um, <laughs> because I thought another good one. I've had to work a lot of construction gotten to work a lot of construction jobs over the years and I got pretty good at cutting stuff I've been the cut man on a bunch of jobs but guess what they make skill saws for right handed people it shoots the sawdust in my face every skill saw I pick up and right handed people are sitting here thinking I've never noticed that of course because it was designed for you not me I'm not asking that you change all the skill saw manufacturers across the U.S. and make them, make them work for left-handed people. I'm just asking that you give me a little bit of grace and a little bit of extra time to get the sawdust out of my eye. Because the system shot it in my face and shot it away from you. I'm not mad at you, but don't be mad at me. I'm trying to prove a point, and you see what I'm saying. nerds wear safety glasses <laughs> I'd rather have eye surgery smart huh <laughs> alright let's get back on let me get back on track here <laughs> the funny thing is like a lot of right handed people hearing me say that or if you go read his paper what I just said was kind of like I got the idea off his paper, but I put my own spin on it. But you hearing me say those things as a right-handed person, probably some of those things you may have already known, but some of those things you might have been like, oh, I've never even thought about that. Right, just because it hasn't affected you. So I'm saying somebody else may have dealt with some things that, that you didn't that may have affected them in that way. Somebody might have been abused as a child and it affected the way they look at the world and the way they relate to other people. And you weren't abused as a child. So we need to look at them with empathy and look into their life and say, hey, you know what? I think it's dumb that that made them that upset or angry. But you know what? They had to grow up and go through some things that I didn't. And there are going to be things that I do that they may look at and say, what's wrong with him? we got to learn to give grace to people and say, hey, maybe you've been through some things that I don't understand. But there are a lot of things we have in common. There are a lot of, there's a lot of common ground that we can come together on. 
I guess what I'm saying is we need to learn how to focus on the more important things. There are a lot more important things that we can focus on. Like the angel said, man, I'm not for us or them or y'all or I didn't come here to start fights. I came here in the name of the Lord. I came here to promote worship. I came here to give you some instructions. See, there are a lot more important things that we can focus on rather than us and them and what I'm going to fight you about or what you can fight me about. Where does that get us? So first, listen. Two, acknowledge your blind spots. Admit you don't know everything. Have Be humble. Number three, focus on the things we have in common. Man, I have things in common with everybody in this room. I promise you. Uh, even if you want to get real practical, like I'm pretty sure we all have a heart. We all have blood. We all have brain. Well, we, uh, you can find something in common. We're all created in the image of God. We are all his sons and daughters. We all want love and we want to know our purpose and we want to be free. God says we're all part of his family. None of us disagree on that. We're all part of God's family. And if you see people as your brothers, as your sister, as your neighbor, remember a couple weeks ago we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan where the rich young ruler was trying to like get Jesus to say, well, who is my neighbor? Like, who do I have to love? Who do I have to pick up out of the ditch? And Jesus wouldn't even really answer him. Because your neighbor is mankind. Your neighbor is anybody that's in the ditch and hurting. The neighbor is the one who showed mercy, Jesus said. If you start to see people as your brother, your sister, your neighbor, rather than us versus them, then racism and division and hate and fear and all these ungodly things start to die. Because even if, my, if I see somebody as my brother and they're going through some things or they're believing some lies or they're struggling with an addiction or they're whatever, if I see them as my brother, I'm going to fight hard for them, not against them. I'm going to jump in side by side with my brother and say, hey, let's figure this out. Let's work it out. Let's fight through it. It might be hard. It might be awkward. It might be some tough conversations and things to have. But if I see you as my sister or my brother, or some, then we can work through it. But if I'm coming at wanting to fight you as a person, then the outcome's not good and it's not Christ-like. John 4 is a familiar story about the woman at the well about the Samaritan woman and Jesus he goes with the disciples and they leave and he shows up at the well and he sends the disciples away to go get lunch All right, we know the story so I won't read you the whole thing we're going to jump in I'm going to read you a little bit at the end something I've not noticed I've preached this story several times before but this really hit me this week 
Um, so Jesus sends the disciples away, and there's this woman there, and there's all different things that we could look into and dig into. But one, she was a woman. And so for Jesus to be talking to her was not proper or not right, that Jesus would go and talk to this woman. She was a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. And Jews thought of the Samaritans as less than. They called them dogs, half-breeds. They were, uh, they were mixed breeds according to the Jews. They were less than them. They weren't equal. So they wouldn't even talk to them. They wouldn't even... They would avoid Samaria. They would travel miles and miles just to go around. They didn't even want to go through there. They didn't want to be associated with them or talk to them. And this woman was at the well in the middle of the day, which where they were would have been very hot. You wouldn't go to the well during the middle of the day unless you were trying to avoid everyone else. Because everyone would go in the morning when it was cool. So for her to be there in the middle of the day, that also says something else. And as you read the story and Jesus begins to talk to her and, and she starts out by saying, you're talking to me? I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jewish man talking to me, asking me for a drink of water? Are you serious? And Jesus loves her and gives her grace and talks to her and begins to ignore her trying to categorize us and them and why are you talking to me because the Jews us, them, a woman you're a Jewish rabbi, them, us them and Jesus asked her about her husband and uh, she said I don't have a husband and Jesus said yeah you've had five and the one you're with now is not your husband so Jesus is kind of reading her mail and then that tells us like what kind of woman she was. And so we've got all these different things. we got different person, different lifestyle, different all kind of things than Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Kind of what that angel did. He refuses to say us or them or all that. He starts talking to her about what's important, about worship. Those that worship God will worship Him in spirit and truth. And now is the day. The time is coming and in fact now is. The true worshipers are going to worship Him. Um, in, in verse 23, it's who you are. And the way that you live that count before God, your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before Him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship Him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming. When he arrives, we'll get the whole story. She's still not sure. I don't know about that. I am he, said Jesus. This is it. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Now here's the part that hit me this week. So now we're caught up on the story and what's going on. And, 
and God's touched her and Jesus listened to what she had to say and talked to her and kept turning the conversation back to what's important and talked to her about worship and, and ministered to her and met her in her place of need in midday at the well running trying to avoid unity, connection and relationship Jesus met her there in that place she didn't have to come meet him in the synagogue right? and then look what happens in verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked. <laughs> How could he be hanging out with her? They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. What is he doing? Look, look who he's talking. Oh my. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. And we've preached that before. I've preached that before and kind of just skipped over that part. And say, oh, and then she went back and she told the whole town about Jesus and come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. And hey. But the disciples showed up and ruined a God moment. They were, they were so judgmental that they didn't even have to say a word. Their faces showed it, and she ran away. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left her water pot. And then back in the village, she told the people, and come see a man, and, and ultimately God's work was done, and, and Jesus said the word. But I think this was a huge learning moment. For the disciples. And that was the reason that Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Because y'all got some prejudice towards different races, towards women, towards sinners, towards you pick. She could have been categorized in all different kinds of groups. I don't ever want to be the kind of people that Jesus can do a work in somebody's life. And then because of my judgment or my attitude or my faces or my stance that they run away. That they get confused and drop their water pot and run. I don't, I don't want people to come in to this church and me to spend 30, 45 minutes preaching what God's laid on my heart and it to meet them at their point of need and change their life and then them to walk in the foyer and six disciples stand there and stare them down with looks of ha 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 and they run back to their cars and back to their world and wonder if the touch they got was real Father, that they would be one. That's what Jesus prayed. We'll read you one more scripture and we'll be done. It's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. Paul the Apostle. He gave us all these instructions to the church. Look what he said. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible because I really like how it words this even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, you are free. We're all free. 
I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I heard about this nursing home and uh, they were cutting back on expenses, which means they weren't giving people hearing aids that they needed and when the batteries would go dead it wasn't worth changing them and they just kind of collected them up so they weren't there was a whole group of people in the nursing home that couldn't hear and they didn't have hearing aids and they wouldn't give them hearing aids so one of the old fellas in there was leading the, the group the in group of all of us that need hearing aids and can't get them and we're being wronged and so uh they said that they were going to go and, and march down the halls and chant and protest so that they could get their hearing aids. And so they're like, well, what are we going to say? What are we going to say? He said, listen, I'll lead it. So they take off down the hall. And he said, what do we want? And they said, hearing aids. They're coming close to the front desk, and he said, when do we want them? Hearing aids. <laughs> ah. <laughs> if you don't hear the question, you'll keep giving the same answer. You don't take the time to listen to somebody else and where they come from and what they've been through and how hard it is to beat this addiction that they're coming up against or how um, you fill in the blank. If you don't listen, then you'll keep coming up with the same answer over and over. If you don't listen, then you will react rather than respond. If you don't change the question, then you don't get different results. Remember Einstein said insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over, hoping for different results. We want to see unity in our homes and in our churches and across the U.S. and around the world. Jesus prayed that we would be one. But I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message, the gospel. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. He's saying step into somebody else's shoes. Step into their world. And experience life from their point of view. That's empathy. Before you judge somebody, I would ask, have you entered into their world and tried to experience life from their point of view? 
If you are aware of an issue and you choose to do nothing about the issue, then you become part of the issue. And that creates more issues. If a light bulb burns out in my house, it's not my fault. But I don't want to live in the dark, so I change the bulb. If I choose not to change it, then even though I didn't cause it and it's not my fault, I've become part of the reason that me and my family now live in darkness. Even if you didn't create the issue. Okay, maybe you didn't hurt that person. You didn't drive them to the place where they are. Okay, well now you're aware of the issue. Change the bulb. This gospel that that Paul speaks of, this gospel that we preach, this good news, it's not a black gospel or a white gospel or an Asian gospel or it's not a democratic gospel or a republican gospel. It's not a... No. It's not a colored gospel except for the color red. Because of the blood that was shed for all of mankind. All of us made it in because of what Jesus did at the cross. And for no other reason, not by works, not because we were good enough, not because we looked right, acted right, talked right, walked right. It's an even playing field. And we are called to share that gospel, to step into other people's world and to bring them home, to show them the place in the family, in God's family. So let's listen. Acknowledge our blind spots. And focus on what we have in common. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, we thank you for the sacrifice. The sacrifice of your son. The blood that was shed for us on the cross. We thank you for relationship. God, forgive us for the times that we've gotten it wrong. God, forgive us for the times that we choose to act out of anger or wrath or we get defensive. We want to respond in love. We want to respond by serving. Because that's what we see Jesus, our hero, doing. God, we love you. We want to look like you. So continue to grow us. Forgive us for the times that we're prideful. We think we've got it all together. Help us to walk in humility. And to witness and be a light for you. God, we love you. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thanks for growing us up. In Jesus' name, amen.